Are you having trouble finding hand sanitizer? Well, Spa Treat has you covered. There's no need to go searching high and low. Just visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and place your order on their easy-to-use website. On schedule delivery. One of the great things about this product, Spa Treat Fulfillment Team is working around the clock to provide people hand sanitizer during this time of need and get your order to you as quickly as possible, even faster than Amazon. Spa Treat also has the lowest price of any of its competitors. Spa Treat has 62% alcohol content and the FDA recommends between 60 to 80 for maximum protection. This one has 62 because it doesn't dry your hands out. I use this stuff every single day. It is fantastic. It's got certified organic extracts with the ingredients in that hand sanitizer that are of the highest quality and they're designed to leave your hands smelling and feeling fresh while protecting you at the same time. The best part, there's no tricky residue left over. None. None of that sticky stuff. Four cents available, unscented, tea tree, lavender, and lemon. And best of all, this product right here is made in the good old United States of America. A lot of companies are having trouble dealing with the current demands, so Spa Treat has dedicated themselves to providing a much-needed product in the time of crisis. Spa Treat has better prices, faster shipping, and a larger supply than any of their competition. There isn't even a close second. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and enter promo code SPA SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. That's right. Not only are they offering the lowest price available, but they're also offering our listeners a discount. This promo code is exclusive to Voice America and only our listeners get this discount. SpaTree and Voice America came together on this sponsorship in order to provide Americans something they could really need right now. Peace of mind. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and order yours today. That's SpaTreatOfficial.com and make sure you use the promo code SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. SpaTreeOfficial.com. Get your awesome hand sanitizer. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. E equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another wonderful episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host for the day, Ryan Treasure. And if you're listening to us from your favorite podcatching device, please make sure to share this with your friends. Give us a nice rating because we always like to hear your feedback, send the reviews. And if you have questions, comments, or concerns about the program, we always like to hear from you guys at info at voiceamerica.com. So, you know, we had some some really interesting shows so far, you know, this year, you know, we, we did some interesting stuff around public relations and connecting audiences to the new normal uh, and, and also uh, talked a little bit about, you know, following creative arts in your free time as you're working from home uh, with our guest Claire Fullerton, which was a great show and, you know, uh, and making sure that while we're all dealing with all these different things that we're staying true to who we are and, you know, what our core competencies are and, you know, all those great things and, you know, so I wanted to uh, I wanted to just bring up the idea of, uh, you know, everybody out there in this new world, you know, business has to keep going. You have, 
you know, small businesses on the decline and, you know, a lot of different kind of changes that are happening where people working from home and, you know, just a lot of challenges as we uh, try to recoup and maintain our livelihoods uh, in, in, in all of the stuff that's going on. So I wanted to take a few minutes and talk uh, a little bit about B2B sales and how that's working, um, you know, for, for those large companies, uh, you know, how some of the shifts have been happening. So we have a great guest for you guys today. He is the founder and director of Proverbial Door. And what a, what a great and awesome guy uh, he is. He's going to be joining us. Moeed Amin, thank you for joining us. Uh, he's been in the business for 20 years, obsessed with how and why people make the decisions they do. You know, with his journey starting with graduating in neuroscience, I don't neuroscience to sales. It sounds like an interesting background. I'd love to hear that story. Uh, uh, you know, learning the evolution of brain structures and impact on how the psychology of decision making happens. So, well, thank you, Moeed Admin, for joining us. We appreciate you all being on the show today. Thank you, Ryan. So, you know, the the first part of your bio is really interesting because you have, uh, you know, this whole, you know, how does the mind and the brain work and the psychology of decision making, which is, you know, kind of a cool facet of something to talk about, especially when you're, you know, trying to get somebody to buy something from you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's the fundamental of all things, right? When, when it comes to our society and the way we interact with each other socially. Um, so, yes, it was a. Uh, it was an opportune and uh, by accident as well, which was a happy accident. Happy accident, right. You know, uh, I've always been interested in, you know, NLP or neuro-linguistic programming. And um, I, I've, uh, as, a, as a radio personality and, and a voiceover talent, I've, I've got the opportunity to read uh, several books for uh, Audible uh, around the NLP thing. So just by osmosis of doing that, I've got a great understanding of, of how that works. And I know probably some of that happens with the psychology of decision-making and how that works as well. But, you know, and we can talk more about the, you know, nuts and bolts of those things. But uh, I really like to hear that story of, you know, how the neuroscience helped and just kind of, you know, the you're interested in, in how and why people make decisions. And I'm interested on why people decide to do what they do. So, you know, take a moment and take us backwards a little bit and tell us how, you know, you found your frequency in life and in business and decided to, you know, uh, step out and, and do what you're doing right now with uh, the B2B sales and consultancies and training and making teams and all that. Yeah, gosh, that, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> the, um, I think like most people in sales, I, it was never my intention. Um, did you ever do, Ryan, in, you, maybe when you were younger in school, did you ever go through that exercise where your teacher would ask you, you know, what, what would you like to be or what would you like to do when you grow up in terms of your profession? Did you ever go through that when you were young? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I have a six-year-old right now, and we play that game right. a couple times a week. You know, she's always changing her mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm glad you said that because I was exactly the same. I had no idea. And... You try to ask a six-year-old a question like that, and, and it's, not very many six-year-olds will have a definitive answer that stays true with them for the rest of their lives. For the rest of their life, sorry. It, it's um, I I went down what was culturally acceptable for me. So so from my background, uh, my parents, where they're from, you're either a doctor, an engineer, or a failure. <laughs> I mean, there's no <laughs> there's no in between, right? Maybe lawyer. Um, but it's not something to be proud about. It's not something your parents would tell their family about and their friends. It, 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 it was either those two things. And when I was asked that question in school, 
you could have given me a thousand different, or asked me to write down a thousand different scenarios. Sales would never have been one of those. <laughs> and um, it, it's, it's unusual because I went, I tried to go down the medical route and I really didn't enjoy it. I was very good at it, but I didn't enjoy it. And not surprisingly, I didn't get an, get an acceptance into medical school. However, one of my backup options was neuroscience. And, and call it intuition, I don't know what it was, but there was, there was something really, really powerful about that decision because I didn't know why, but I had this incredible feeling that this was a really important decision to have made. And when I thought about it a few weeks after making the application, to me, and, and we talked about this just briefly, I just mentioned it earlier, you know, society, the way we interact, the world around us, not from a physics standpoint, but from a social standpoint, everything that we have at some way, shape, or form came from that decision that was made. And those decisions that are made are based upon the structure of your human brain and your nervous system. And I knew that back then. And I knew that that was the path I wanted to take if I wanted to understand everything. But I just didn't know how to apply it. So when I completed the neuroscience degree, um, I was obviously like like a lot of a lot of people attracted to money, right? And I thought, okay, how can I select a career, sorry, that would make a lot of money for me? And I didn't see neuroscience being a neuroscience researcher uh, doing that. So what did I do? I converted to law because I thought, you know, my my mum was a lawyer, uh, and maybe I'll enjoy it because I have the same DNA, right? <laughs> and completely flawed reasoning. Um, not surprisingly, I did not enjoy law, enjoy law at all. In the UK, the legal professional system is slightly different to the US, where in the US, m moving up the career ladder in terms of seniority is partly to do with your competence, but also partly to do with the level of business that you bring in. In the UK, back then, it wasn't like that. In fact, it was about doing the job for 15 years and slowly moving up the ranks based upon your tenure, not the value that you bring. And to me, that seems completely alien. I didn't understand that. And lo and behold, I hated the, work, the, the, the paperwork, the immense amount of reading, staying up at two in the morning. I'm not too bothered about staying up at two in the morning. I do it right now, but, but it wasn't something that I enjoyed doing. Um, so after completing the legal conversion degree, as we have here, and I even completed the advanced degree to become a solicitor, um, I was stuck. I had no, no idea of what I wanted to do as a profession and what I wanted to be. Um, and I, I kind of thought about things like accounting, but really I was just stalling. And, and I kept seeing um, you know, job, um, job applications, job offerings for sales. And I thought, you know what, why don't I give that a go because Yes, the base salary seems to be lower than, say, the legal profession, etc., but the potential earnings seem to completely outperform them. And I thought, well, why don't I give this a shot? I will try it for a little bit until I find something better. And I went to a few, a few interviews, completely tanked on those interviews, uh, until one day I went to a group interview and I performed incredibly well. I was one of the most sought after by employers in, from that interview. And 
fell into sales that way. Now, it wasn't smooth sailing because the first year I had to make the decision of either handing in my resignation or getting fired. So I didn't have a great start to sales. Luckily, I mean, I handed in my resignation, but luckily I was headhunted by a company. And that was the beginning of my love affair with sales because I stopped trying to conform to what other people were telling me of how I should conduct sales. And I began to go back to my neuroscience and cognitive psychology roots. And the, the, the learnings that I applied from there um, helped me become a high performer during the last financial crisis. So between 2008 and 2012, I was the top, one of the top 10% uh, in terms of high performance. In fact, in 2009, I was number one in the company in terms of sales performance. So I got to go on to this five-star trip to Mauritius, et cetera, as part of that. Um, that's when I started looking at sales being more than just sales. It was about influencing. It was about persuasion at a very deep human level. Um, and I then was headhunted in 2012 by another company, um, and then my trajectory just went through the roof. In fact, I was mentored by a top 10 sales author. In fact, he's regarded as the, the third, high, third global sales guru, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Matthew Dixon, who wrote the Challenger sales book and series, uh, co-authored them. And um, the path that sales took for me was about, I, I realized during that whole experience was that the bigger the vision, the bigger the team that you needed. When you think about people that are doing some incredible things in this world, they're not doing it on their own. So they've had to convince and influence not only people to join them, but to stay the course while things get tough. And to me, that ability to influence and almost create a movement felt magical. Um, and it was during that sales process that I started to see how I enjoyed that process so much. And um, you ask about frequency. The frequency for me, the vision is so much bigger than just sales. It's about um, helping our species, humanity, uh, reawaken and, and kind of take back its nobility. Um, and, and there are various competencies and elements to a noble individual. And one of those is the ability to be able to communicate with clarity, with, with vigor, with power, uh, with, with emphasis and emotion, uh, and to get their point across in a way that moves people to take action in their own best interest, not necessarily in the influencer's interest, but in the, in, in the recipient's interest. So the frequency for me was always about uh, you know, helping people see how I can help them. Um, getting them closer to their deep-seated human needs and desires, um, and, and really being able to influence people in a way that is ethical, right. but with some science rather than art, because I was definitely not the typical profile of a salesperson. I was not an extrovert. In fact, I was an introvert. I came from a science background. There was nothing about me that screamed, um, you know, successful seller. In fact, quite the opposite. Right. Um, so really, that, that's, that's my frequency. That's my journey into that's finding awesome. that frequency and where I am today. You guys have to check out this new service that I'm playing around with called Issue. It is totally amazing. 
You live to create, but you don't live to worry over the last nitpicky details involved in putting final touches on contact. You got to do what you do best and let Issue handle the rest. If you're a creative, you know the drill. You're finally done editing. It's perfect. Now you just need format and reformat for every single platform. With Issue, make it once and it's ready to post everywhere. Seriously, Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital publications from brochures to magazines and sales collateral. It's perfect for creators, marketers, designers, educators, publishers, salespeople, or just anyone that wants to make eye-catching content that can be distributed on multiple platforms. Issue makes it really simple. Just upload the PDFs and files and Issue transforms them using your vision and customizable templates to create the content you want. With Issue, you just create it one time and distribute it everywhere. Everything is optimized to post on your website, social platforms like Instagram and Facebook. They can even help you make animated Instagram stories. And the best part about it, it is free. F-R-E-E free. That's right. It's free to get started with Issue. So go to issue.info slash frequency to sign up for your free account. That's I-S-S-U-U dot info slash frequency to sign up and let them know that you heard about it from this show, Finding Your Frequency. Remember, that's dot info, not dot com, dot info. So go to I-S-S-U-U dot info slash frequency and get your free account today. So at what point as you were going through that particular experience and, you know, understanding some of the psychological components and science behind selling, uh, at what point did you decide, you know what, I don't want to work for anybody else. I'm going to go start my own, my own business and, and, and going and founding the proverbial door. What was the mainstay behind that? Because as you, as you mentioned before too, you know, um, you were an introvert, you're a science background and, you know, that's completely the opposite of stepping out of your comfort zone as an entrepreneur and starting your own business. Yes, yes, yeah, uh, absolutely true. And I guess it was very early on in the sales career. So when I moved into that second company and I, I, I decided very, very early on in that, in that business to really not follow what other people were telling me. Um, it, it wasn't that I was against what they were saying. It's just that I felt it wasn't working and it wasn't me. Um, I guess it. I guess it. I guess it came about when I didn't enjoy being told what to do. I know that sounds <laughs> uh, almost kind of I'm throwing attention, but I really didn't enjoy people telling me what to do, or at least telling me how it should be, because to me that felt that I was living my life in their image of how the world should be, and. You know, they are, it just didn't feel right to me. So I would probably say around actually 2009, 2010 was when I started to have this feeling that really I was living my life and giving my energy towards someone else's vision and image of the world. And I didn't go into entrepreneurship with the delusion about having, you know, more time and more freedom to myself and spending more time with my family because I knew how hard <laughs> being an entrepreneur was. My father was. Yeah. And my granddad was. So I'm, I, I know I'm, how I'm glad you had a, a logical uh, expectation of what that is because. Oh, no, I, yeah. 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 And, and, and by the way, social media has, has created, in my opinion, this, this, this image of entrepreneurship that's, that's not what it is in reality. <laughs> and I think people get bought into the, the glitz and the glamour almost from what people are saying. But yeah. um, I they, think they, 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 they forget about the reality. work. You know, they forget <laughs> about the effort. I mean, you know, it's funny. You know, your your employees that work with you, right? They get to go home and on Friday they're kinda, you know, disconnected from work for a couple of days. 
you know, and then mm. they come back on Monday, you know, at least that's, you know, our, in the States, we work the Monday through Friday. Some people do four 10 hour days or whatever, but you know, and then you take a couple of days off and you know, you don't, you're not connected with the business when you're doing that, but the entrepreneur, the owner, you know, those management structures, you know, those guys are, and gals are, you know, taking phone calls at, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock on a Saturday night, interrupting date night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. absolutely. And, and you know what, Ryan, what you described is, is responsibility, right? That's, that's what leadership is ultimately through, through all my observations, experience and research. It's, and that's where sellers come in, actually, where we notice some of the benefits. One of their qualities is the responsibility and the accountability that they hold. <laughs> yeah. Um, not just to themselves and their targets, but what it means for others as well. And, and, and that, you know, that, that was, I knew that wasn't going to be easy, but I wanted to move to be able to do things in my own image, uh, in, a, in my own way, and make mistakes, right? Yeah, I tried. We're, we're human. Uh, it was about three of, <laughs> sorry? I said we're human. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, and I failed a few times. I tried three or four companies that didn't work out for various reasons. Um, and you know the best best decision I made was not to give up, uh, and and I have to say I was very close to doing so, but um, it was around 2009 2010 when I felt that um, I was learning a lot, but it wasn't right, and it took me quite a few years to to step out, um, partly because of my risk aversion. Um, partly because I didn't have anyone to push me and just say, look, just go for it, right? And kind of guide me in that way. I had to kind of figure it out for myself, which is fine. Um, but it was really around that journey when I started to think, you know, enough's enough. And, uh, you know, I, I've got to, I can't, I can't live with that regret later on because what's the saying? Um, regret, regret weighs a ton, but mistakes weigh just a few pounds or something like that. Um, so that, that that's really the that's really the journey. And that's really the point when I when I decided that uh, you know I wanted to move on my own. It's when it just started to become quite successful. I started to get some some traction in sales, um, and when, I felt I wanted to do it my own way. When you started the the proverbial door, you know, mm. I I know that you know that that was kind of like a, a shift for you, right? You 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 took a step out of you know being in direct sales and started a company that uh consults other firms and other entities in in sales and training and building teams that are successful uh how has that transition been where you know you're teaching what you learn rather than applying what you learned yeah it's interesting you mention that because there was a point when i it was so clear for me that that was the thing that I excelled in more than anything else. Um, in 2012, just about three months. That's because you were a scientist. My, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get to that, by the way, because that that was really a, a big deal for me, a really big uh, uh, turning point. In 2012, um, three months into my role, my manager, who was then actually the the, the, the SVP of the business very senior and uh, he decided to take me under his wing he, he seemed to have seen potential in me he was walking me through the specific elements of the training program that they were doing and as he was walking walking through it I, I stopped him I said that that is just way too complicated Christoph um, the average seller is just not going to be able to get their heads around this during a call when pressure is quite high so I gave him a framework and 
he said, that is, an, that is a great framework. And he said, do you mind if I take that and roll that out across Europe? And I said, not a problem. So they rolled it out across Europe. And then within a few months, it became so, so successful that they rolled it out across the whole business across the world. And bear in mind, this company had 5,000 employees, of which about a third, I think, or maybe just under, were salespeople. Um, from then, I was recruited as part of my role as a seller and then as a manager and a leader to also do the training. And in 2000, and I think it was 16 or something like that, I took a different route to the training. Uh, they gave me scripts, etc., frameworks that we're supposed to stick to, but I stuck to that, but I also wrapped it around my own way of delivering training. And we get evaluated after every training session. And at the end of that training session, for three, three or four training sessions in a row, I got top marks, 100%. And, and bear in mind, there were... There were, it wasn't just one or two people in the training sessions, there was probably about 20 people, 30 people at a time. Um, and that's when I realized that actually my skill, whilst I was a great salesperson and I was a high performer, my real edge, that magical ability I had, was actually in training because I really cared about the success of the individuals. Uh, and I would follow up with them afterwards, which was beyond my role. But, but I was so passionate about helping them, it was just a innate desire in me that it, it became something that I really enjoyed and as I enjoyed it I sought new ways to make it even better so that's awesome. um, hopefully that answers your question but that, that's when I realized that for me moving into that role was actually very natural it wasn't a, sh a shift for me actually it didn't feel like a shift it just felt very natural and something that I truly enjoyed yeah and you know I think that's uh, that's that's pretty non-standard too where um you get into an organization and you have somebody who's a top earner or uh, or a top performer, right? Not all top performers or top salespeople are, are good trainers or good coaches, right? They may be really good at sales, but trying to convert that or convey that to another person in a training session, um, those are two very different tool sets. Agreed, agreed. And, and the, other, the, other, the other scenario you can describe as well is, not all great salespeople make great sales managers. In, in fact, very few percentage of them can. So it's exactly the same, actually. Yeah. Um, it's about imparting your knowledge uh, in a way that motivates people, and and it's very different from a sales environment. So yes, yeah, I've absolutely agree. had that. I've had that philosophy for the last ten years. That you know, just because yeah. you're very good at sales doesn't mean you're the best manager or trainer. You know. Um, and and you know being able to identify those people in your in your organization that are able to take the reins in those spaces you know is 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 what creates also good leadership in a company right identifying that talent that you have and putting them into a place to succeed i always like to use sports analogies right if you're playing uh you know uh, soccer or football or whatever any sport that has a team you know you want to put the person that's on the field in the best place where they can be successful and you know, that comes from good guidance, good leadership, good training. Uh, and, you know, those are all qualities that are extremely important, especially when, you know, you, you talk about, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur and those responsibilities that you have. And I definitely have always had the take that, you know, I'm never willing to ask somebody to do something that I'm not willing to do or can't do myself, right? Which, yes. which is something that I think leaders really need to take into account, especially as we you know, move through some of this new normal, right? And you have, hey, you're at home, there's these expectations, uh, there's nobody, you know, at the facility 
keeping an eye on you all the time and and what you're doing and you know those types of things and and I think that from a training and leadership perspective, it's going to be difficult to, as we move forward, to pick out talented individuals that are going to be able to perform in those scenarios because, you know, that that's another challenging thing that I've seen in sales, you know, since the whole pandemic thing is you have a lot of salespeople that really perform, you know, at the office, at their firm, uh, you know, having a dedicated space to be able to do what they do. And then, you know, they go home and, they they don't they don't get up and go through the routine of I have to get up and go to work right it's you know more lax sometimes in some cases and you know I think that's a that's a shift I think in the culture of sales sales that a lot of companies are dealing with right now on you know how those people are able to maintain their performance while they're at home or you know maybe you had somebody who wasn't performing that well at the office and went home and now they're performing well I mean I think there's I think there's both ends of the spectrum but you know my long-winded question would just be are you seeing that trend as well and you know as a trainer and a, and a consultant and building teams how are you guys uh, how are you guys jumping through that hurdle yeah it's a great question because what you're describing is really around human traits now um, because one of the things I learned from a previous employer and what they did very well was when they were interviewing, and I, I, I did hundreds upon hundreds of interviews for salespeople, what we were guided on was primarily um, observe an interview for traits first, skills second. And what they meant by that, and this is, this is now so important because the world we lived, live in is fundamentally changed in certain ways where different traits will be more valuable in terms of your, the value you provide mm -hmm. than they did before. Um, and that's why you're seeing people that probably didn't work so, so great in, in a work environment where they used to come to the office every day and they work so much better um, on their own. And then you also see on the other side where people are vice versa. They just they used to work great in, in the office, but now not so much on their own. And that's really down to traits of that individual, and it's core to sales, right? So one of those traits will be, yes, adaptability, but one of them is discipline, right? And w one of the things I used to look out for in an interview is, does this, what types of extracurricular activities does this person have on a daily basis? Do they do some form of sports or something something that requires them to have in their approach where day in, day out, they are perfecting or practicing that craft? And that was a great indicator of this person's mental and physical stamina to not only uh, approach and go through the grind on a day-to-day -day basis, but to also do so when things get tough because it takes a certain attitude and, and Kind of mental strength to be able to do that. So, so what we first look at are what are the traits of your salespeople, right? Not just their skills, but their traits. Do they exhibit things like discipline? Uh, do they exhibit things like adaptability? Um, how is their mental state? And what I mean by that is their mental attitude towards the current situation, and that that requires your guidance. And I tell sales leaders that. Um, you can only help show them the light in terms of the, the attitude and the kind of emotional state that they go through. But ultimately, they are responsible for managing that emotional state. You can give them the tools, but you can't force them to do that. Um, 
so so do they you know do they have that kind of stamina and strength to go through that are they intellectually curious so there was a study that was published in HBR that talks about the kind of I think it was the eight dimensions of a successful salesperson none of it was about being an extrovert or being gregarious it, it was about you know, intellectual curiosity you know someone that is curious enough to want to learn how do things work the way they do and why does that happen um, uh, yes excellent communicators but that's a skill um, so in answer to your question what we've seen in our company and what we've seen in our clients business that a lot of leaders are not really take grasping very well is look for traits what are the traits that marks a successful seller that's going to be working remotely how, what does he or she have to do on a daily basis and how do they approach things from, from, a, from an emotional and psychological and a personality standpoint versus skills because skills can always be trained yeah. I, I use the analogy of traits as a, a fertile bed of soil and seeds are the skills you can throw a ton of seeds on, on barren soil and, and it won't flourish and it won't grow but if you have a hugely fertile soil, which is the, the traits and the psychology, you can just throw a handful of seeds and it will flourish. Yep. Um, and, and that's really what's core to this situation. And that's what I advise my clients to always look at first. Yeah, I love that philosophy. And uh, you, you did a really good job kind of explaining it uh, in, in depth. And I've always had kind of maybe a more simplistic, simplistic view of that. And, and I guess... For me, like I always tell people, I said, you know what? I might not be the smartest person in the room, but I will outwork all of you, you know. And yep. and I think that's that's a trait, you know, for employee employees and employers alike that uh, are it's extremely important and definitely valuable to be able to flush those out. And I think you got to flush it out in a timely manner too, because you don't want to spend uh, an enormous amount of investment of time into training somebody who doesn't have those underlying traits and is willing to you know, put in the work, right? Yeah, I mean, the average, the average bad hire can cost a company. Um, when you talk about the salary, you talk about the time spent in terms of coaching, onboarding, uh, training, all those things. Uh, the average cost for a bad hire per seller, per bad salesperson is, was it 85,000 pounds, which is what, $92,000? Um, and and an average of twenty days of lost time. So forget just the cost. Yeah. But but the the, the the growth momentum is also stalled as well. And if you have enough of those, then it becomes a cumulative negative impact. So uh, absolutely, what you just said about out outworking and working harder than anyone else is is one of a few dimensions that will really set aside high performance. There are a few others, but that, that's an important one because um, it, it's, it's how much you're willing to put in the hours, but especially when things get tough. Yeah. Um, and, and do you give up or do you find a way through? Now, we, of course, always need support. And this is where coaching and the right leader is important. But you can show people the door, but ultimately they're the ones that have to walk through it. Yeah, no, that's very well said. What kind of challenges are people seeing when when making those decisions? Right, I know that I know that you you can you can talk all day about saying, "Hey, these are the the personality or character traits of a person that I'm really looking for for uh, mm. you know, my, to, for success in my organization." But 
you know, how, how do you how do you identify those in a, in a quick manner? I'll give you an example. We, uh, our company, uh, just not a, not too long ago, we just finished building an entire, you know, from we've done an interview and sent you an offer letter all the way through you know, the training and, you know, all of those things we've, we've digitized all of this that we used to do in mm-hmm. person. Right. We, so we've went through this entire process during COVID and, and it, it was a lot of time and it was a lot of time from many people in multiple different departments, right? You have, you know, graphic design over here, supporting the documentation and the time, effort and energy there. And so I'm seeing a lot of companies that are expelling a bunch of uh, resources internally to do the same thing that we that we just had to go through in order to make sure that we can still bring in and pool in new talent and do that all remotely and still be successful mm-hmm. in the business. And so that's been a big yeah. challenge. What kind of technologies or things are, are, are companies using that you're seeing now to mitigate some of those things to make sure that they uh, don't have an extremely hard, uh, extremely high cost to to recoup as they start onboarding new new employees remotely? Yeah, it's a great question, and and, and I always say that tools. Sorry, I always say that technology are tools. Um, you know, I spent five years involved in advising big companies on innovation, and we work with the C-level leader of some of the biggest brands in the world, uh, you know, companies like Pepsi, Dow Chemicals, et cetera, BAE Systems. Um, and they would, they would talk about innovation and say, look, we want to drive more innovation, drive more ideas, and they would spend millions on a particular tool or a platform for people to submit ideas. But the problem was, that's just a tool. It's just an IT system, right? You've got to inject the will and the desire and the motivation to do so. So in terms of what you just asked, before you go into the technology, Stephen Covey said it best, right? I mean, a lot of people have said it in a similar way, but he stands out as the most memorable, which is start with the end in mind. And the end is, for a salesperson or whatever role you have in a company, what does it take for that person to thrive within the current environment and the environment for say the next year to year and a half, maybe two years. It's, it's really hard to look further out than that, right now anyway. So, so what, 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 what would it take for that person to thrive? Let, let's kind of imagine ourselves, that, that person at home doing the work that they do. What is that daily work going to look like? So start with that and describing that. You'd be surprised how many leaders have not thought that through, not in detail anyway. They have a cursory understanding or expectation of what that person should be like and how they should conduct themselves in the daily work and grind, but it's not in detail. Once you have that, now you're in a position to say, okay, what traits would make that person flourish, make that person successful? And you kind of list out those traits. Now you're in a position to then say, what are the questions that we want to ask during that interview process to uncover those traits as well as skills. And I can't speak for other, uh, other competencies and functions. I can only speak for sales, but this is how we did it in sales. And in fact, one of my products actually talks about this step by step, which is in the inter- the whole point about the, a good interview process is that you're, you're doing two things. Number one, you're obviously identifying the traits and skills, but number two, uh, you're staggering the risk. Right? And what, that, what I mean by that is the very first level of engagement in an interview, uh, and especially in sales, 
shouldn't be more than, say, 15 minutes because actually there's only 15 seconds for that salesperson to impress or create an impression on the buyer. And the buyer has made uh, a psychological um, view of that person, right? And, and our brains through evolution are wired to do so. It's very hard to get away from that. Um, so if they can't impress you in certain ways within the first stage at 15 minutes, that kind of gives you an indication that maybe we shouldn't spend any more, invest any more time with this person. Or it tells you actually this person has covered the great, great things and then we can take them to the next stage. The second thing that we used to do is ask competency-based questions. Right? So these would be detailed questions where one question would be made up of three sub-questions. And it would ask them about scenarios that they faced in their yeah. past role or in their life experience. And the answers to those questions would, firstly, those questions are structured in a way that is desi designed around your product, your offering, your solutions, your type of buyers, the market you're involved with. So yeah. you're not asking just random questions here. They're within the context of your business. Yeah, no, I, I, always, I always like to give somebody a scenario that's uh, like exactly what you're saying of, uh, you know, in our business, we encounter this, this, and this. If you encountered this when you were here, how would you handle it? Uh, you know, those, those have always exactly. been, uh, you know, great questions that, that I like to use. So really love your, chain, your train of thought here. Yeah, and, and, and we take it a step further where I, I would ask, tell me about the last time or tell me about a time where you experienced something like this. Uh, what happened how did you approach it? What was the outcome? So what you're looking for are three things. Situation, action taken, and then the end result. Right? So what was the situation you faced? Tell us about that. What actions or steps did you take? And what was the result of those actions and steps that you took? And, and they don't have to always be things that where the outcome was great. They could be bad outcomes. In fact, we encourage our sales leadership clients, don't look for only positive things because sales, believe it or not, <laughs> you're going to make mistakes. You're going to get rejection. You yeah, want to know, do you have people that can deal with those things? Yeah, and it's important so, to analyze that too, right? You know, you you, yeah. you give somebody, you know, those questions and they give you a scenario in, in which they failed. Uh, I feel like number one for them to even showcase a scenario or talk about a failure, courage. right? That takes some courage. But yeah. then also it opens up the door for you to understand, uh, you know, in this teachable moment of them failing, what did they learn from that and how did they put that into practice later so it doesn't happen again, right? Which is one of, one of, one of my favorite roads to go down. <laughs> yeah, abs absolutely, absolutely. So, so this, it, it's about detailed observation and getting them to talk about it, right? Yeah. Because, and that encompasses so many different skills and traits, right? Listening, articulation, patience, you know, being able to convey your message across, all, all those great things. And then the next stage from that is role play. I mean, um, and, and although that sounds obvious, the structure in which sales, people who are hiring for salespeople uh, go about the role play um, is somewhat, it's a bit haphazard. It's not thought through properly. And, and what you want to do is apply a little bit of pressure in that scenario. I always tell sales leaders, apply a bit of pressure in that scenario. Why? Because again, you want to see how they perform under pressure. 
But you know, if you have a typical sales call that may take an hour, reduce that scenario to about 30 minutes or maybe 45 minutes um, because you want to see how they conduct themselves, right? Because buyers are going to throw that at you. Right? The amount of times that's happened to me, I cannot tell you how many times that's happened to me where I walk into a meeting expecting to have an hour or maybe an hour and a half, but all of a sudden they said you've only got 30 minutes. Um, so you've got, you've got a test for that. So role plays are incredibly important. Um, you know, giving them the information so that they can research it beforehand. So what we used to do in um, CEB, which is now part of Gartner, is um, we would give them information about the buyer and, and information about the solution an hour before the role play. So they had an hour to research that. And their ability to ingest and understand and utilize that information was a, was a great insight into uh, their uh, mental stamina and ability to um, not just ingest all that information at a quick pace, which is really important, but how they're going to do that under pressure whilst in a sales meeting as well. Is, because is, they're going to be thrown a lot of information. Yeah, is this, and, and that's that's something I think that's the challenge, especially with remote working, right? The the sure massive amount of information that's given to an individual in a, yeah. in a you know, what, what let, let's uh, it, I think it's in both ways, whether you're doing a, a hiring process and going through this one or even even through training, right? You know, how do you make sure that those folks are, you know, you, you found the right person, they said the right things, you get them into training and, you know, how do you, you know, retain their attention? How do you hold them accountable for certain areas when yeah. they, they're not physically in your space to have a, a one-on-one conversation, right? Because I think when you when you have the opportunity to look somebody in the eye and have a truly, you know, one-on-one communication with somebody, um, that to me is a much more effective way of communication than, you know, us looking at each other over Zoom where some nuances yeah. can be lost. And uh, how, do, how do you maintain that structure in, in this in this new uh, in this new workforce that we're all dealing with, like or, or, or hiring what I'm called, what I'm dubbing the new salesperson. Yeah, are you asking about new hires here? Still, still going into that process of hiring someone, or I, are you asking about existing tenured? No, I think members? it's I think it's both because what's happening right. is you're you're from a remote like location as a as a hiring manager or um, as as a person being an HR person, whatever the case may be, sales management, customer service management, right? You you're spending this time saying. I have to go through this vetting process, and then I also have a training process. In in both yeah. of those processes, all of this is happening remotely. Yeah, um, and, and you're asking from my perspective as yeah. training someone. Yeah, how do you assess? How do you assess the effectiveness of that if the if you can't have a a one on one communication eye to eye? Right, it's, it's way different yeah. looking somebody in in the eye having a conversation that is being remote, whether it's on the the hiring process or the training side. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no doubt it's uncomfortable because um, you know we're social beings and and uh, proximity is incredibly important in in terms of our evolutionary timeline. You know, this technology is you know a speck in the dust uh, compared to the, the to the universe of our timeline. So that's obviously difficult. And, and but believe it or not, um, and and I have a um, I have a video cast with a gentleman by the name by the name of Mark Bowden who is. Um, a best-selling author in uh, human behavior and body language, and, and according to his research and his experience, um, 
actually there is a lot that you can do to simulate uh, more of a natural feel when you are talking to someone through Zoom or virtual video means or anything like that. In fact, the, the, the facial expressions and the eye movements are a big part of nonverbal communication. So there's a lot that I can do as a trainer to connect with my uh, with the person that I'm talking to and engage with them without actually saying a word uh, and vice versa there, there's a lot that the that the person is talking to me uh, there's a lot that they are saying to me through nonverbal communication right are their eyes always pointed down downwards for example um, in which case does that tell me that they're distracted um, their eyes, do they tend to point, sorry, are they tend to look upwards and to the right, in which case they're probably thinking about things. And there's always a probability because sometimes it's never going to be completely accurate. But how you make that engagement and hold that accountability. Maybe they're just reading awesome. notes. <laughs> exactly. Maybe they're, yeah. and, and, but the idea is not to be accurate, right? The idea is to be able to observe so that you have a more complete picture. The, most people are completely unaware of something that makes up the majority of how we communicate. Um, and we still naturally think about the words that someone says, but actually they're, they're nonverbal communication. And your own is speaking far more in terms of magnitude and detail than words can. Because words, and most people say perception is reality. Absolutely not true. Emotions are reality. Boy, that, I, I love that you went into that without even me asking the question. I literally had written on my paper here, uh, communication, verbal, and nonverbal, and you just rolled right, right into it. <laughs> yeah, but because it's so yeah. important. In fact, that becomes even more critical during this virtual kind of interaction and setting that we're facing. And, and you know, just to answer your question, holding people accountable, there are various means in which to do that. Um, number one is the, the cadence by which you're connecting with people. Okay, So when I do training, I, I, it's not just one-on-one -on -one training or one-time training. There are some follow-ups that I kind of insist happen. Yeah. Um, some of that's going to be face-to-face. -face, some of that isn't. Um, but here's the other thing. There are certain technologies out there that absolutely will help you. Um, I did a video cast the other day with um, the VP of marketing for a company called Vidyard. Right? They're one of a handful of companies that specialize in um, hosting, a video hosting platforms. Mm -hmm. And there are so many techniques by which you can use video in your email communications, in your LinkedIn messaging, etc. Great point. Where you are talking to the prospect or talking to your customer rather than sending them a text email. The brain um, assimilates and computes uh, images and symbols at 60,000 times faster than text. So actually, when you send a video that's two minutes, three minutes, or just five minutes, rather than send an email, the click-through rate and the engagement rate has been shown to be more than 400% of an increase than, than the Ooh, That's huge. That's huge. It's huge. Wow! What a thank you it's for thank you for you that information. It. It's 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 enormous when you think about it, especially that's that's a that's a game game changer in the world it's of sales and marketing. Changer. You know, uh, yeah, Moeed, I mean, thank you, thank you for joining us. We're we're getting really close oh, cool. to the end of the show here. I just looked at the clock and was 
realizing we've gone almost a whole hour here. Um, <laughs> so, well, hopefully that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's been a great conversation. You know, where can people yeah. where can people find out more information uh, about Proverbial Door and and contact you about what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a few a few places. So, proverbialdoor.com uh, is our website, and you can contact us through there. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so linkedin.com forward slash Moe Damin, all one word. Uh, same with Twitter, uh, so forward slash uh, Moe Damin. Uh, and, and we're also on um, on Instagram, um, so uh, proverbial, proverbial door. Um, so those, those are kind of the ways that they can contact, you can contact me and see some more information about what we're doing. And of course you can email me at um, so mamin at proverbialdoor.com. Uh, and we'll be happy to answer any questions and help in any way. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for, for going such in depth and bringing your knowledge to the table on, and also telling us your story about, you know, how you went from neuroscience to sales to sales training. And, you know, what a great story. And I think a lot of great information that the listeners can absorb. And, uh, you know, for those of you who are entrepreneurs running your own businesses, managers, or, uh, you know, anybody who's who's working in professional services, I think a lot of the stuff that we covered today is is very helpful and, 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 and great information. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Moeed. We appreciate you. Ryan, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed that. And uh, thank you for the great questions. I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely love keeping my face nicely shaved, nice and clean for my wife, and just that nice, clean, professional look. I suggest you guys also do the same thing, and you can do it fantastically with a great company called Harry's. Harry's is such an amazing product, not to mention, how much could you save in one year by switching to Harry's? It's enough to buy 26 cups of coffee in New York City, or enough for three deep dish Chicago pizzas. Enough to pay for six months of your Netflix subscription. How, you ask? Harry's delivers high-quality razor blades as low as $2 each. That's it, just $2. A fraction of the price of the leading brand and saving you hundreds of dollars over time. I just love the product. It's 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 a close shave. The design of the handle is ergonomic. It fits my hand perfectly. The shave gel really makes it nice and smooth and it smells fantastic. You can get a Harry's trial set delivered to your doorstep by going to harrys.com/frequency. You got to try it out. Durable blades, fair price, $2 per blade. They cut out the middleman manufacturing blades in their German blade factory that's been making precision blades for a century. That's why you get that nice, close shave and that wonderful handle. Harry actually has all your grooming needs covered in one stop. You can get blades, hair care, shower products, all on harrys.com. And just like their blades, Harry's is committed to providing premium products without breaking the brink. You can feel a little better about your purchase knowing that 1% of the proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoting to helping provide access to better mental health care for men and veterans. I know I can get behind that. To help support those who need it most, right now, Harry's is donating a million dollars worth of shaving supplies to hospitals across the United States. Listeners of Finding Your Frequency can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash frequency. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip, and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and safe to grab on the go. Don't forget, go to harrys.com slash frequency and start saving money today. 
Thanks a lot. So you guys that are listening on voiceamerica.com on the Variety Channel, make sure you tune in every Friday at 12 o'clock Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, as we bring you brand new content right here from Finding Your Frequency. And again, if you're listening on your favorite podcatching device, please make sure to uh, like us, rate us five stars because I think we deserve it. We're, we're definitely five-star human beings, so let's bring it, bring it to the table there uh, and share this with your friends. Thank you so much. You can get a hold of us at info at voiceamerica.com. Stay tuned next time for another episode of Finding Your Frequency. This is your host, Ryan Treasure. We'll see you next time.